Welcome to the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We are so honored to connect with you, and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> I told, I told uh, Brandon, I said, if you do a full introduction on me, I'm going to fire you. It's like really weird to get introduced in your own church. It's just weird. So <laughs> it's happened a couple of times and I told him this morning, I ran into the church and first thing I was like, you do a full-blown introduction and you're done. He was like, I'm not even on staff. And I was like, I don't care. I'll put you on staff and fire you. <laughs> like, <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> but we are so happy. If you are a first time guest, we are absolutely thrilled that you are here and you are welcome here anytime. And we have, um, we have several people who actually, they go to their own churches on Sunday mornings and they just kind of get together with us on like midweeks or during small groups or vice versa. So honestly, any anything you want to join in or just check out, you are more than welcome to anytime, anytime. We love having you. So this morning, um, I'm actually really excited about this message. Um, I preached it one other time in Daytona a couple of weeks ago. And then I kind of just added a spin to it. So before I start, I do need you to get, where's that, is that water right here, Jamie? Okay, I don't want to slip and break my neck in my stilettos. That'd be really bad. <laughs> um, we'll all just laugh if I do. I don't mind. You can laugh at me. I'll laugh at me. Um, so I do need you to get a sheet of paper out, and you will be writing something on it a little bit later. So just make sure you have one. If you don't have one, ask your neighbor. If they say no, steal it. So just make sure you have a sheet of paper. All right. I want you to go with me to John 4, starting in verse 3. I'm going to be reading a little bit, so I'll go kind of quick, because I want to have, where's the timer? There it is. I can barely see it. It's bright. Um, I'm going to go pretty quick because there is several verses I want to get through and I want to have time to kind of dive into this. So this is a story, most of you know it, about Jesus and this Samaritan woman. And we're going to start off at verse 3 and it says, so he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well around noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She asked Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, who do you think, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than, better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Could you imagine smarting off to Jesus like that? I thought about that this morning, reading it like, Girl, <laughs> you, you're walking on thin ice there. You could snap and you cease to exist. I mean, you're pushing it. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. Everyone say thirsty again. 
But those who drink water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I will never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have one, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five, and you aren't even married to the one you're living with. You have certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. (laughs) No kidding. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist on that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim? I'm sorry, Casey's the one who speaks Greek. I can't pronounce half of these. Where our ancestors worshiped. It's interesting to me here that as soon as Jesus called her out, she just immediately changed the subject. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews, but the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? The woman left her water beside her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. The title of this, yes, I'm going to go real millennial, is thirsty. (laughs) Super millennial. My daughter is sitting there like, oh God. (laughs) My daughter and her friends, which by the way, everyone welcome Maddie and Ava today. These are my, this is my, these are my oldest daughter's, daughter's two best friends that we've called them honorary Dosses because they basically live at our house and it is the greatest part of my life is just having all my little daughter's friends at my house. I love it. So we love you. Bought them donuts this morning. I'm their favorite human. So the sermon of the, the title of the sermon is called Thirsty. Um, I don't know if any of you uh, knew this. Casey and I, it's a funny, funny thing that we have done. Uh, this past January, I joined National Fitness against my better judgment. And then Casey ended up joining this past summer. And Irina is actually the one who got me into it because, you know, she is there who is the Russian goddess and goes to the gym and hangs out and she's whipping out like 10 pull-ups and I'm like, yeah, I could totally do it. Sure. I dangle from the bar. It's not even like I can do a pull-up. I can't lift my shoulders <laughs> and I'm just hanging and then, I, then it hurts hanging. I'm like, this is really bad. Like, this is embarrassing. Like, I used to be in really great shape. But this is a disaster. And so Irina gets me into this gym the main reason we went to this particular one, it's in, um, it's in between here and West Hills over next to Walmart, is they have free childcare. Glory to the Lord. So I know Michelle goes there too and Mr. Al, but um, it's great because I just drop off the kids, go work out. It's like kill two birds with one stone. It's like daycare and fitness all in one. It's great. And so we started going and um, we do what is called fit class. So it's like a personal training as a group. It has destroyed 
our physical bodies. Like you leave, we actually have a video of Casey. I was trying to get up off the couch and walk and I couldn't walk. <laughs> I was so sore. And it's not even like CrossFit stuff. It's like, you know, basic squats, push-ups, <laughs> et cetera. You know, and you have the video and I'm like, don't touch me. <laughs> and like can't sit down, it's horrible. So while uh, I found out I have a particular pet peeve ever since we've joined this gym, and that is anytime Casey touches drinks, if he looks at my water, I get stabby. I can't deal with it. My kids drink my water. I can't handle it, true? If they drink my tea, fine, yeah, go ahead. Coffee, great, you take a sip. Don't touch my water. It's a thing, do not touch my water. I hate picking up my water bottle, because I'm trying to chart how much you, know, you drink a day, where you like take your body weight, divide it in half, drink that much, that much ounces, whatever. It's the thing, it's the thing. So you know, I'm, I'm trying to like chart how much water I drink and I go to pick up my water bottle where my son has it and I take a sip and it's like, oh surprise, there's a biscuit. Cause there's like the little particles floating in my water. So now not only have I ruined the amount that I've tried to drink, I've swallowed a half eaten soggy biscuit of Asher's. It makes, there is nothing that gets on me more than people taking my water. And it never fails. If I start drinking water, they're miraculously so thirsty. They will not have, they could like go for hours running as hard as they could, playing as hard as they could. They're fine. If they see me take a sip, mom, <laughs> give me a sip, I'm dying. Get your own water. Get your own, there's cups in a sink. Get your own water. I want that water. It's, get your own water. And it, what was fascinating to me though is actually, it is a thing that if you see someone drinking, you'll get thirsty. That's a real thing. There's times where, Case will be up here speaking, I've actually watched. He'll take a sip of water and you'll see random people get a sip of water. It's like a trigger. It's like if you see someone sneeze, you sneeze and it just happened, everyone started drinking water. <laughs> it's like if someone sneezes, you'll sneeze, or they yawn, you'll yawn. It's the same concept. If, if you see someone drinking, you are all of a sudden thirsty. And it's amazing that God kind of put that one little trigger in people that even in just the natural, if you see someone drinking, you want to drink. And now think about it on the spiritual side. What is it, this is what I want you to ask yourself, this is what you'll use the paper for in a minute. What is it that is keeping you thirsty? What is it that you are drinking that is not quenching your thirst, you believe it is, that you are continually putting in you to keep your, that is keeping you thirsty? And not only is it keeping you thirsty, it's making other people be thirsty for that as well. So what is it, ask yourself, what is it that is keeping you thirsty? We've all noticed this. No generation, no society in all of history has ever been so consumed with selfish ambition, with themselves, with, um, like Annalise has TikTok. If you're an adult and you have TikTok, delete it. <laughs> you should not be an adult and have TikTok. TikTok's cute if you're under 16. There's some people on Annalise's TikTok. I'll just get it sometimes and scroll through just to, just to laugh at people, to be honest. It's kind of mean. But you'll see people my age in their 30s doing a TikTok. Does anyone not know what TikTok is? Okay, so it's, 
It's, I didn't know until recently, don't feel bad. I found out because she has it. It's like um, Instagram, but music videos. So you have, what, a minute or so, or less than a minute, 30 seconds to a minute, where you kind of edit little clips of yourself singing, dancing, acting out songs. And then you kind of compile them and you share them with the world. <laughs> so but what's horrible though is, you know, you see like little kids on there doing like bibbidi bobby boo it's real cute. Then you see people my age and they're on there. Like there was, there was one lady, an older lady, dressing up for Halloween and she's doing a little thing and then the music changes, I promise, and she goes, and you're like, it's just cringeworthy. And there's something so narcissistic about that. There's something so like, let me say this as a precursor. I don't hate social media. I love social media. I have social media. I think it has its benefits. But there is something so self-absorbed in, here, let me show you a picture of my dinner. Hashtag might delete later. Um, oh, here's a selfie, just woke up, hashtag no filter, hashtag might delete. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? Because we are so desperate to see that little comment, OMG girl, don't delete, you're gorgeous. <laughs> girl, queen, hashtag slaying. <laughs> we do it because we, we cannot get past the need for those comments and the likes. How many people liked it? How many people liked my last post? Let's see, oh, oh my gosh, 28 people liked my post of my lunch today. All the feels. I mean, come on. This is, this is the culture we live in. I mean, my, my great uncle fought in World War II and I can't get past this? I mean, come on. It's like, you can't adult today? Like, come on, people. You're in your 30s and you're gonna wear a shirt that says, feed me tacos and tell me I'm pretty? Like if I, like if you, if you, can, if you can't be, be a unicorn, always be a unicorn, mermaiding. Like this is, this is a sad fact that this is the culture that we live in. How many of you have seen at least something like that? Good, pretty much everyone in the audience, perfect. I'm not going to use that one. I was going to use another one. I'm not going to say that one. <laughs> but it's, it's those, it is the need. It is the waking up every day. As soon as I open my eyes, what do I do? I'm going to open my eyes and <gasps> how many people, is the stock market okay? Did my, did my stock go up in a point? Did it go down in a point? Oh, look, oh, Casey, look at how many people liked the post of me and you together in the car. Oh, it's so cute. It's, it's what's keeping us thirsty. It is something that is keeping us needing the affirmation that we were never supposed to get from this. It's us needing the affirmation that we were never supposed to get from, I'm trying to think if I, yeah, I'm just going to say it. It's what, we, it's what we need from the guy at work that's the friend, but not really the friend if you know what I mean. It's the guy at work that, that you really hide the text messages, not because it's sinful, but because no one will really understand your relationship and you don't want people to take it the wrong way. And so, no, no, I don't want people to think that this is anything, so I'm just gonna delete them because it does make my husband angry whenever I text this guy because he does have that feeling that there's something here that's just not right. 
He does have that feeling. My wife has told me many times, I just don't feel comfortable with her. There's just something about it. And instead of saying, honey, I'll cut it off. I'll never speak to her again. She is literally dead to me. Instead of saying that, no. Instead, you know, we're friends, honey. What is your problem? You just have this weird jealousy thing. I don't know what your issue is. But I mean, the truth of the matter is, if we're hiding those messages, actually, in the word of God, whenever it says, if you look at someone in that way, you're already in an affair. If we're hiding the messages, hey, we're already there. It's checking the Facebook message to see if that old high school boyfriend checked back in with you. It's to see if that old girl that you hung out with college, oh, and I wonder if she's still on here. It's keeping us thirsty. It's that little drop of water that, that whenever we just, we just want just the one drop on our tongue to quench our thirst. Just one drop, just one. Oh, okay, yeah, so I got my fix. But then you're thirsty again later. It's us checking our bank account. Did the money come through? Did it come through? Did it come through? And I'm not saying that because I know there are situations where we need miracles and we are legitimately looking for, God, you got to come through for this. I'm not referring to that. I'm referring to moments of, did I make enough? What can we buy now? You want to go look at a boat? It's, it's keeping you thirsty. It's keeping you thirsty. It's the job. It is the pursuit for success. And that's not always a bad thing wanting to have a good life, wanting to have a good financial future for your children. That's what the Lord wants. I mean, even the Bible says, I would that all men would prosper and be in good health. He wants us to prosper. God wants us to be wealthy. God wants to give to you in abundance. That's why the Lord says, give unto the tithe and test me to see that I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing so great that you will not even have room to contain it. That's what the word says. He says that, but it is, it is the need for it. It is seeing someone else with the car that we want, that we say, oh, if I could just get more money, if I could just get more, it's keeping us thirsty. It's the need, it is the desire, it is the craving for these things that are, has nothing to do with the Spirit of God, has nothing to do with that living well inside of us. We are feeding that well, we are filling that well with something that is keeping us thirsty. It's like if you go, I learned this from experience at the gym. <laughs> it's like if you go to the gym and you drink tons of water and it's still not quenching the thirst. You know what I'm talking about? And it's like you can't get your body temperature down and you're literally about to die. And so you, you, know, you have to get something. You have to get Gatorade. You have to get something because it's just not, it's not it. It's not quenching it because your body is needing something more than just the water. Water is not doing, it has to have a nutrient. It has to have a mineral. There is something that your body is lacking. So now I want to take this a little step deeper. Beyond just natural things that are keeping us thirsty, the need to check the comments, the need to see if the person called you, or the phone rings and, oh, is it him? Is it her? Let me run out so my husband doesn't know I'm talking to this person. Let me run over here and see if my little, you know, is my boyfriend calling me? It, it, not just the natural things. We have to ask ourselves what pain in us from our past is keeping us thirsty. There's a movie, um, Casey and I love, is The Free State of Jones, Matthew McConaughey. Casey has a man crush on Matthew McConaughey, if none of you knew that. You can tell by the beard and the hair, you know, which the beard is... It. I've been working on him for 15 years to grow that beard. He finally did it. It is it. But 
it's a Matthew McConaughey movie. It's spectacular. It's the Civil War. Have, have you seen it? Free State of Jones? There's a part in it where I'm not going to ruin it for you if you haven't seen it, but a, a certain person gets shot. They just get shot once, but it is a fatal wound. They're bleeding to death. And what was amazing about this is the person says, why am I so thirsty? Why am I so thirsty? In the movie, he says, why am I so thirsty? And he's dying and he's pale. And I, I, I didn't know this because I actually looked it up. I was like, what did he ask if he's thirsty? He's dying. That's, what he, that's the first thing you're going to say? Why are you so thirsty? But come to find out, at a certain level of pain, blood loss, you actually become so thirsty. That's the only thing on your mind. That whenever a pain becomes so great, why am I so thirsty? Why am I so thirsty? So what pain is there in us? What past hurt? What situation? What offense? What is it in us that is keeping us thirsty? I know for myself, all of you know mine and Casey's story, but I know for myself there was so much that happened in my childhood that I had shoved down and suppressed and buried and ignored and that I didn't realize that because of this pain, I was reaching out for anything that would quench that thirst. Because I knew, and I had gone to the altar. Listen, we grew up in church. I had gone to the altar every time there was an altar call. Even if there was nothing wrong, if there was an altar call, I'll find something wrong and go to the altar. I mean, that was just, that was just what we did. Still, even then, go up, spin around three times, throw the rag, fall out, do whatever it is to get rid of the pain. But I had never let the Lord come in and take it out by its root. I had never allowed God to really heal what was hurting me. And what, what I realized in that was this. I can go to the altar all I want. God can touch me all he wants, and he does want to do that. But unless I'm willing to follow through, with never letting that pain affect me again, it'll come back. It means if there's an offense towards somebody and they have hurt me, even if it's legitimate, and this person has absolutely crushed and devastated me, that I forgive them, not for them, for me. I forgive them to get rid of this pain in me. Not because they deserve it, because I have to do it to heal myself. And it doesn't mean that I forgive them. Whenever Jesus said to Peter, you forgive them 70 times, seven times, that doesn't mean for 70 times, seven different things. That means I forgive them 70 times, seven times for the one thing they did that hurt me. That means they hurt me of this and, and the, the enemy brought it back to mind. It's okay. I've forgiven them of that. The enemy brings it back again. You're forgiven of that. And you do it until you don't need to do it anymore. Until you can look at that person and say, I legitimately want the greatest thing. I want God to bless you more than he has ever blessed anybody. I want you to have the most beautiful future you could ever have. I want you to prosper. I want you to be healthy. I want you to have a good marriage. I want you to have a good family. Until you can look at someone that has hurt you and say that, that little twinge of pain might still be there. That little bit of an offense. And sometimes offenses, this is what's amazing, that we have found sometimes offenses are really legitimate and sometimes it's just foolishness. Sometimes it's based out of, out of a lie. We had someone this week actually um, write a pretty nasty Facebook post <laughs> about um, me and Casey and the ramp. 
And here's what was interesting. The truth of it, we would never say because we would never throw this person under the bus. Um, but the truth of it was radically against what was actually put in the post. The saddest thing about it was this. He got hurt seven years ago. Seven years ago. And you want to look at this person and say, have you not moved past this? Are you really still here? Honey, come on. Like, we've apologized. You've apologized. We all talked about this. You're still here? What have you done with your, how do you sleep? Like, this is literally eating you alive. And not only is it eating you alive, you are letting the enemy rob you of everything in your future. You won't be able to have a successful marriage until you get past this. You're going to carry this baggage into a relationship? Are you kidding me? You're going to carry this baggage into a job? You're going to carry this into a career? This is going to destroy you. What, seven years later? Seven years are lost for this person. That yes, the Lord can give those years back if he forgives. If he allows the Lord to take out this pain, those seven years can be restored. But until, those, until he allows the Lord to do that, he is going to be reaching out, checking that post, who agreed with me? Who came on here and said, man, I feel your pain. I know exactly what that's like. Who came on here? Who, who liked it? Who didn't like it? Because if they didn't like it, we're cutting them off. They, didn't, they don't agree with me? Well, they're out of my life. Who, who, who agreed? Who agreed? Who agreed? It's keeping them thirsty. It is keeping them thirsty. That's, that's, that is so crushing to me. Somebody with all the potential in the world, all the talent in the world, destroying their lives for something that will never quench their thirst because of a foolish offense. I found in my life during that time, whenever I was, you know, living out the lifestyle I was, I would do anything I could to quench the thirst. I would, songs, I would, I would listen to songs and think, do I feel this? Does it relate to me? You know, whenever you, like, whenever you got your feelings hurt and you listen, you pull up a song and you listen to it and you're like, oh yeah, I so relate to that. It's a moment where it's like, it's kind of quenching it, but not really, and not really. Because then as soon as the song is over, you need another one. As soon as the movie is over, you need another one. As soon as the phone call, I would call people, you know, well, you wouldn't believe what happened. And as soon as that phone call was over, I had to pick up the phone and call someone else. It's whenever we get our feelings hurt at our spouse. And so instead of working it out with our spouse, we call our girlfriend who also hates her husband. And so we're going to call her, not the woman who's been married for 58 years. It's going to say, girl, work it out. You better fix this. This is foolishness. Go fix your marriage. No, we're not going to call her. I'm going to go call the one who dogs her husband. I might not have spoken to her in five years, but hey, I'll catch up just so I can have someone to relate to. Whenever we have money problems, we're not going to talk to the Dave Ramseys of the world. We're going to talk to the people who also have $100 million in credit card debt, and we're going to get them on our, on our side. Hey, should I go buy this other car? Yeah, go buy that car. I mean, I know it's going to put you another $50,000 in debt. Sure, go buy it. Because we, we, we have a tendency, it's like the, how spirits attract spirits. Misery loves company. 
You know, it's, it's that same concept. It's we, we are attracted to other people. It goes back to that concept. If I see someone drinking this, I'm going to be thirsty for that. So we're going to find each other. Offense will always find offense. Misery will always find misery. Bad marriage will always find bad marriage. That's why, I mean, you can get a group of people together and you will have, like in high school, you'd have all the jocks find each other, all the cheerleaders, cheerleaders find each other, all the STEM kids find each other. They just, they just, it's like magnets. They just gravitate. And it, thirst works the same way. You'll be gravitated, you will be pulled to the same things that you are thirsty for. Exact same things. And it's not bad to be thirsty as long as we're thirsty for what's right. Thirsty is actually good. That's why the Bible says, I hunger and thirst after righteousness. That's good. I am thirsty for his word. I am thirsty for prayer. I am thirsty to see one more glimpse of him. That thirst is good. And whenever whenever the Lord really quenches that natural thirst in us, and we allow him to really rip out that pain, and we really walk out the healing process, and we really make a conscious effort in the morning to instead of me waking up, which I did this for years, first thing I'm gonna do is check my Instagram. Uh, let's see, who was on it today? Oh, that was a great picture. Instead of that, I'm gonna open my Bible out. And I'm just gonna read the verse of the day. I don't have to sit there. I mean, I know I have three kids to get ready for school and in 20 minutes. So, I mean, I'm just, just first thing in my mind, what does it say today? It might be something out of Deuteronomy. It might be so-and-so slain so-and-so. Who cares? That's the first thing I'm going to read. The first thing before my eyes, I want to make sure I'm quenching my thirst with something that is substantial, something that is going to give me strength through the day, something that whenever something comes up that day, whenever something happens at home, something happens with the house, instead of calling people and venting, okay, what does the word say about this? What does the word say about this situation? What does the Bible say about this? I don't know. Okay, well, I'm going to Google what does the Bible say about this. (laughs) What does the Bible say about finances? What does the Bible say about marriage? What does the Lord, what does the Lord say about this situation? Not what does my mama say, my uncle say, my sister say, my friends say. What does the Lord say about that? What does the Lord say about my friends? What does he say about this Friendship, that's not really a friendship. What, is, what does he say about it? That's how we quench our thirst. I want to, real quick, let's look back at this woman. It's interesting to me, many things about this part of the story. There's one thing I really want to point out, though, in it. Whenever Jesus goes and sits by the well, the first thing that's fascinating is historically, that would have been very unusual anyway. Typically, men didn't just go and sit by the well. Women would go and get the water. It was just, it was a woman's job. It's just what she did. She went and got water. So first, it would already been a little unusual to find a man sitting at the well. That's, that's already kind of a, you okay? <laughs> you, need, you need something? And of course, him speaking to the Samaritan woman, which also would have been unusual, and her kind of deciding that she's going to be in total denial about God calling her out on her lifestyle, and instead she's going to change the subject. Instead of, hey, I perceive you to be a prophet because you called me out on my lifestyle. But also, did you know the Jews say that we should worship here? A completely radical turn on that. Just avoid the situation. Here's what got me about this story. Go back with me. 
Go back with me to verse 26. Now go to 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to, everything to us. And Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Think about this with me. Just go with me here. Because I, I have to do this. I'm, I'm not weird. Kind of have to, play, have to play things through like it's a movie. So just go with me. You have this woman who has walked out of her house. She is in her fifth marriage. It's not a marriage. She's already been in pain. We don't know what it would have been like for her. Would she have been abused by those other marriages? Would he have been unfaithful? Was she unfaithful? We don't know. The word never says. But let's just assume that there is an unbelievable amount of pain in her. It's hot. She's tired. She would have had to make this trip several times a day to have enough water for her, her family. We have no idea how many children she had. The weight of responsibility on her shoulders. Having to make this trip over and over and over again. How long would it have taken her to get to the well to carry the pot back home? How heavy would that have been on her shoulders? How tired would she have been? How dirty would she have been? And whenever she gets there for finally the third or fourth trip of the day, that a man is sitting there and says, give me the water? No. Get your own water. You have, you have to think, you have to kind of wonder that even her, her little backlash at him, the little attitude she had, you have to wonder what kind of pain had she been in to have that reaction you think, you think your water is better, better than this, the well that Jacob had for his animals and his children? You think your water is better? You have to imagine, why would she have even reacted that way? What kind of hurt ha- did she have in her that automatically she goes to wounded animal in a corner? Don't touch me. Don't talk to me. Don't do this. That this, this pod is all I have. This is what I have to take care of my family. This is it. I do this every day. I do this over and over a day. This is it. This is what I have. But the moment he says to her, I am the Messiah. Her attitude stops. Everything stops. Why? She heard for the first time, because it wasn't like he hadn't spoken to her already. He had been having a whole conversation with her. What was it that made her change? It's because she had the realization in a moment when he said, I am the Messiah. Her ears were opened. Her eyes were open. And when she saw him for the first time, everything changed. When she really saw him, Not she sees him in front of her talking when she was, the veil was pulled off, when the filter was gone and she heard his name, everything changed. Here's the point right here. Verse 28, the woman left her water jar beside the well. Jamie, where's my jug? She left what had kept her thirsty by the well. She left the means that she had used to keep her thirsty. And she ran back to the village saying, come see the man who told me everything I have ever done. Could he be the Messiah? Come see the man who has taken away this thirst in me. Come see this man who has done this. And even if you skip ahead to verse 42, it says this, then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you have told us, 
because now she has taken her healing and poured it into someone else that the name she heard, I am the Messiah. They heard it now. That not because of what you've told us, but because we have heard him for ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. She left what was keeping her thirsty at the well. Y'all come on up, Bim. What I want you to do with that little sheet of paper, I want you to write down what is keeping you thirsty. Anything. It could be a job. It could be a relationship. It could be a family member. It could be a friend. It could be an affair. It could be anything. And while they sing, while we worship, I want you to come and I want you to put what is keeping you thirsty in this jug. And later on today, we're not going to look at them. We're not going to read them. You don't have to put your name on it. Don't just, just write, just write what it is. Don't title it. Don't date it. Write what it is. Pray over it and make a conscious decision that whenever you put whatever it is that is keeping you thirsty in this jug, it stays in this jug and you don't go home with it. And whenever you do go home, you don't bring it back up. Don't take it back out of here whenever you get home. Don't go home and pick up the phone and try and see if that person texts you again. Don't go home and see if the people liked your comment. Don't go home and think about that pain and the unforgiveness and what someone said or did to you. Make a decision. You might have to do it a hundred times a day to say to yourself, I forgive that person. I'm not thinking about that. I bless them. I forgive them. Even if it's not easy, even if it hurts to do it, do it. You leave the pain in this jar and you don't take it home. And later on, we're going to take everything in this jar. We're going to go burn it. So we'll find somewhere to burn them. We might make Yvonne or someone take it on some property where it's not illegal to light a fire in Knoxville. And we're going to make sure that these things are destroyed. So while we worship, I'm going to leave this pot right here. I want you to come up and put in it what it is that is keeping you thirsty. Write it down. Pray about it. And let the Lord heal you. Let the Lord take care of this. Let the Lord fix the situation. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit hopeunlimited.church give. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Unlimited Church.